Welcome to the Our Safe Harbor Church podcast. Here you can listen to our Sunday sermon, Monday morning message, and midweek Bible study. We hope you will consider subscribing, sharing, leaving a review, but please be sure to check out our website at www.OurSafeHarbor.com to learn more about us and find ways to get involved. Our Safe Harbor Church, we are with you wherever you are. Welcome back to our midweek Bible class, and we really appreciate you tuning in. Make sure that you subscribe and like and hit the bell, and then share it with other people so that they can also walk through these Jesus stories. Now, if you've been absent for the last two weeks and you didn't go back to listen to those just very quickly, uh, Dr. Hunter volunteers his time here, and right now he needs to be at his other job. And if you're one, if you have followed through and you're thinking, wow, this is the third week, Please remember, we have to record these in batches of three to four. Um, I don't think we've ever done five on a day. So we have to get ahead of the game, uh, and that's what's going on now. So we fully expect uh, Dr. Hunter to be back with us, but not today, and maybe not next week. We'll have to see how things go. We have a small team here, and we have to record when we have people that we can record Uh, and that we have people who can run all the back tech. Got it? There we are. Mark chapter 11, verse 27. This is the last week of Jesus' life before the crucifixion. So it's Passover. People are going in and out of the city every single day. They arrived again in Jerusalem, and while Jesus was walking in the temple courts, remember he just cleared those out yesterday, and there was quite the scene. The chief priests, the teachers of the law, and the elders came to him. Ah, the religious leaders. Religious leaders all showing up. That can only end well, can't it? Well, maybe. By what authority are you doing these things? Who gave you authority to do this? Now, this was a very serious question of the day. If somebody asks me, by what authority do I teach and such, I always just smile and say, God gave us a scripture and gave us a brain. But that, I live in a different world. In the world in which Jesus lived, the length of your hair was regulated by law. What clothes you were allowed to wear. The color, if any, of a belt, or they would have called it a girdle, tied a sash of some sort. I, everything was controlled by law. Seriously. And citizens could do a little bit more than non-citizens, but even they, were. there was a gradation of you're allowed to have this, but if you're wealthier, this. If you're part of this particular political group, you're allowed to have this. Everything you did was by authority. You would, you would really be shocked at how many of those laws just saturated that society. There was a way to keep everybody in their place and keep the peace. Because please remember, in the Roman Empire, as in most empires, there was zero interest in the value of a human being, in the value of a human life, in freedom. No, no, not at all any interest in that. It was all about keeping the peace of the empire so those on the top could be on the top and not rain down their wrath on those below them. So, this is a very serious thing. They can bring charges. They're hoping to find charges. But they're also hoping uh, 
to get, find a way to turn the crowd against Jesus. But just a little tip. You might want to write this down to remember later. Don't try to outthink Jesus because he's pretty good at this. Jesus said, I will ask you a question. Answer me, and I'll tell you by what authority I'm doing these things. John's bad, and they couldn't go, oh no, oh no, because people are around. They're watching. And if they were going, no, no, you don't ask, people might be saying, well, why can't they ask you questions? And it would turn rowdy again. Jesus said, John's baptism, was that from heaven or from human origin? Tell me. Well, they pull off to a huddle. They discussed it among themselves and said, if we say from heaven, he'll say, then why didn't you believe him? But if we say of human origin, well, they feared the people, for everyone held that John was really a prophet. So they're kind of trapped. So they come in, and they, they don't have a press secretary to answer a totally different question to throw everything off. So they answer Jesus, we don't know. Jesus said, neither will I tell you by what authority I'm doing these things. You can't answer that question? Not answering your questions. That's cool. There are times, this is going to be a shocker. Are you seated? I hope so. There are times that I am not universally loved. Uh, this morning, and this is well in advance of when you're going to be watching this. So weeks and weeks ago, I received three e emails from one guy. And there was no paragraph breaks. It went on at great length. I'm still not exactly sure why he's upset or afraid of me. I'm going to keep trying, and I'm going to print them all out and break them up and try to put punctuation in. But a lot of times, and it boiled down to, why should we be listening to you? Well, that's an excellent question. I don't think you should listen to me unless what you hear from me is reasonable, logical, and absolutely deals with the evidence that is. And, and deals with evidence honestly, even when it's uncomfortable. If I'm not doing that, I, I would suggest that you not listen to me. If I am doing it, I'd suggest that you listen, even if it makes you uncomfortable. Because the fact is, I've never learned anything from anybody who agreed with me about everything. I have to find somebody who makes me uncomfortable or gives me information I did not have before I can learn and grow. So Jesus, when he's saying, I don't have to answer you, that's what I have to end up doing sometimes. <clears throat> I will get uh, calls to debate. Uh, it'll show up on my Facebook feed. It will show up on Twitter. It'll show up in emails. And sometimes even, you know, troglodyte, like they actually use a phone to phone. And they'll call and they'll say, I, I want to debate you on this subject. And, and I'll, no, no. Several reasons. One, I find that, that the calls to debate, and I'm going to sort you out, almost always come from accounts that have like four followers. No, do the work. Get the work in. Other times, if I debate them, that's all I will be doing. I'll never have a chance to make these recordings, to come see you on a welcome home tour. By the way, there's a little commercial. Uh, as the weather's turning and as my, my schedule's opening up a bit after emergency surgery that I had in January knocked me flat for, um, and under restrictions for six weeks, we're easing back into where I can travel again, and I would love to come sit, visit your house church. To me, and this is very, very, these are not hard rules. Uh, 
Uh, I, I will move and bend these. I call a house church like five people. And if you've got them and you would like for me to come to your town, I would very much like to. And it's not cost to you. Uh, This is all of us putting together the people who give to this church. um, They're supporting house churches all over the world. And so that's what allows me to get to you. So, all right, there you go. I will make that ride rather than spend six, seven hours debating somebody who's not going to change. And it's not my job to change their mind anyway. Jesus said no to debates. We can too. We don't have to waste our time doing that. So, what happens in chapter 12? This is one of the most terrifying, upsetting stories in the Jesus story group. But it has an application that once you see the application, you're going to get it. All right? Jesus began to speak to them in parables. A man planted a vineyard. He put a wall around it, dug a pit for the wine press, built a watchtower. Then he rented the vineyard to some farmers and moved to another place. So he set it up. He's built a whole system. It's his. But he is renting it out to other farmers or vineyard people. Um, kind of like sharecropping. My, my mother, uh, her, her family sharecropped for a number of years. And she always talked about her her days and years on the Smith farm, and they had a really good experience. This is not going to be a good experience. At harvest time, he sent a servant to the tenants to collect from them some of the fruit of the vineyard. You know the deal. Uh, How are they going to pay for this? Well, not in money, but in percentage of the crop. And that had been agreed upon well in advance. Everybody works off the handshake and the contract here. So he sends a servant To go get his share. But the renters. They seized him. Beat him. And sent him away empty handed. What? Are they assuming there are no consequences for these things? Then he sent another servant to them. They struck this man on the head. And treated him shamefully. He sent still another. Wouldn't you have hated to be. The third or fourth guy. You know what's coming. It's like in the old Star Trek series. If somebody beams down and they're wearing the wrong color shirt, you know they're going to die because they're a minor character and that's the only reason they're there. So you're you're seeing this and you're thinking, hey, could you send all of the servants at once? Maybe we'd have a chance. But no. Verse 5, he sent still another. That one they killed. He sent many others, some of whom they beat, others they killed. He had one left to sit. By the way, if your mind's reeling, how could this happen? It actually did. We'll talk about, but not yet. He had one left to sin, a son whom he loved. He sent him last of all saying, they will respect my son. Now again, go back to the Semitic world. The son of the owner had standing in law and standing in society and culture. There were real consequences. Think of it this way. If you're a a violent individual and you punch a man in a bar, there may be consequences for that according to what the DA of the area decides to do. District attorney. It um, always, um, I know Americans know what a DA is, but I figured I'd better say the word. Um, If you punch a guy who's in a wheelchair, 
there are probably going to be more consequences. If you punch a police officer, there are going to be more consequences. If you punch a federal agent or a member of the House of Congress or the president, there are going to be more consequences, right? You understand that? We understand. It, no country has ever done equal justice under the law. It doesn't happen. We all understand that there are different consequences as you work your way up the ladder of consequences. Going after the sun, be like punching a president or at least a federal agent. There are going to be some cost. The tenants, however, are completely diluted. They are living in a fantasy zone. Are you ready for this? But the tenants said to one another, that's the heir. Come, let's kill him and the inheritance will be ours. When, when is that ever true? That woohoo, now we can kill the heir and he's got to leave the fields to us. Really? That's insane. And that's the point of the story Jesus is making. What then will the owner... Uh, oh, this is the heir. So they took him, they killed him, the son, and threw him out of the vineyard. What then will the owner of the vineyard do? What do you think he's going to do? He will come and kill those tenants and give the vineyard to others. By the way, under law, absolutely justified. Under Jewish law and Roman law. Absolutely. Haven't you read this passage of scripture? Jesus starts an application. And he lets people filter it in on the rest, um, the rest of it in their own minds. The stone the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. The Lord has done this and is marvelous in our eyes. This is once again a quotation. He's used quotations out of one Psalm 118 twice now. Um, it's a really important psalm. What, what is going on? The chief priest and the teachers of the law and the elders looked for a way to arrest him because he knew they'd spoken the parable against them. But they were afraid of the crowd, so they left him and went away. What, what? Here's the application. Jesus was talking about the chief priest and the elders and the religious, you know, big guys, the big guns in the religious field. Jesus doesn't have a whole lot of respect for people who misuse religion in any way for their own benefit. And absolutely did not hear. What's going on? God through the years, as, as Hebrews would say, in many ways, in many different times, God has appeared to us. He sends prophets. What do they do to the prophets? Kill them? Throw them in a pit like Jeremiah? Saw them in two like Isaiah? Um, he sends prophets that are a little different. Like Isaiah, big long book, whether it's one, two, three writers, I'm not going to fight it. Um, it's still a really long book, even if you divide it. Or he also sends people like Obadiah, short one, in, out. Hosea, short one, in, out. Um, or Habakkuk, how about that one? Really short, in and out. Those don't work. He sends um, judges, like Samuel, that, no, mistreated, not, not, work. so he'll even try Picasso, Ezekiel is a Picasso, if you don't know what I'm talking about, read Ezekiel, um, keep aspirin by, 
uh, and every so often slap your face, walk around, listen to bird song, clear your head. Because here's a guy that preaches sermons by going in and out of his house with different pots, uh, digging a hole in the wall of his house, doing a sermon using feces. This is, he tried. You know, he tried straightforward. He tried story, like through Hosea. He tried weirdness through Ezekiel. They'd kill the prophets. They'd kill the, the people bringing them back to repentance. Even though God had created this vineyard for them, they refused to give him their due, his due, of honor of a portion of their goods. We still give a portion of our give goods back to God. It's what the giving is all about. They refused to acknowledge God and listen to the prophets. So God in heaven says, I will send my son. They have to respect him. But instead, the chief priest, the elders, the teachers, they knew Jesus was who he said he was. This is so important. How do I know that? Because later on during one of the trials, the chief priest says, are you the son of God? And Jesus looks at him and says, that's what you've said. He gets beaten for that response. But Jesus wasn't lying. In private, the chief priest knew this was the son of God. But if he takes over, what's going to happen to us? And you'll actually hear that in the other gospels. They're going to lose their money. They're going to lose their power. They're going to lose their position. They're going to lose everything they've had. They're going to become gasp, normal people with no inflow of coinage, no super respect everywhere. They're just going to be other people following him. No, they truly believed that if they killed the promised Messiah, God would still have to give them the vineyard because they were chosen. I really stress something here. This is not the way the Jews felt. The common people, the everyday Jew, followed Jesus gladly, the scripture says. Multitudes and multitudes. It was the religious leaders and their hangers-on that did this. This would rather be like somebody hating France because three people in the Assemblée Nationale had made anti-American statements. You know, don't do that. That's ridiculous. The French people aren't like that. Well, we don't hate Jews. Jews are the chosen people. They were God's people. He brought us into the family. We're the adoptees here. If you're not Jewish, you're an adoptee. So this is not anti-Jewish. Even the yelling of the mob, crucify him, crucify him. It was the chief priests, the teachers of the law, the elders, the religious honchos, and their lackeys. Not the average Jew. Sadly, for the next several, 2,000 years, because in some places it's still going, the official doctrine of Christianity was that you had to you know, kill Jews, drive them out of their, your land because they killed Christ. No, they didn't. The religious leaders did. The same kind of religious leaders that are telling you now to drive a Jew out. Don't listen to these. Do not fall for this. But they truly believe, these religious leaders, that God would have to give them this anyway because he doesn't have any other chosen people. How sick do you have to be to decide that? 
Well, the thing is, that's not unusual. If you take a look at murders, murders are almost entirely done over jealousy, sex, money, or revenge. That's pretty much it. In fact, even in America, which has high gun crime, if you stay faithful to your wife or to your husband and you don't do drugs and you don't hang around people doing drugs and you don't get drunk and you don't hang around people getting drunk, the odds of you being shot are almost zero ever. There are clusters of this sort of thing, right? But the fact is, I mean, recently a big movie was Killers of the Flower Moon, a Martin Scorsese film, uh, three and a half hours long. And it was an adaptation of a novel. And a novel is basically a true story. Uh, and it was about the people who casually killed Native Americans so that they could get their land that had the oil. For, you see, for a long time, the Osage Indians were the wealthiest Americans. So the whites moved in, started intermarrying with them and killing them, therefore inheriting the land and the money. That, I hate to say this, that's not unusual in human affairs, red or yellow, black or white. Killing others so that you can have the, the power and the stuff. And God says, you think you're getting away with that? No. No, you are not. Later, they... Again, chief priests, teachers of the law, and elders sent some of the Pharisees and Herodians to Jesus to catch him in his word. This is a bizarre group. Pharisees were hyper-conservative religiously. And most Pharisees were actually good people because they wanted to bring people back to follow the law. But you've always got those who take it too far and begin to make the law a burden on people. And we know this. We know this. In some churches, you can't move without getting busted. There are all of these different rules continually piled on you. The Pharisees here are coming with Herodians. That means followers of Herod, who was secular, claimed to be a Jew. He had some Jewish blood, but claimed to be a Jew. He was very secular. He was murderous. He was barbarous. He would, he would and did kill several family members because one day they might pose a threat to him. And that's what he did. He was murderous, sexually profligate. He's uh, the guy, if you remember, that killed John the Baptist or had him killed. And now they're teaming up with the religious conservative people. That makes no sense. Unless both of them looked upon Christ as a threat. Remember I told you last week, people are afraid of Jesus. That's why they hate him. And they hate him because they're afraid of him. They came to him. They wanted to catch him in his words. So once again, by the way, any, any minister, pastor, who travels around teaching, these people show up. And these type of people will start trying to catch you in your words. We're used to it. Teacher, they said. We know that you are a man of integrity. They're lying because they don't think he is. They're setting him up. One of the general rules, if you're a traveling speaker, is when someone comes up to you and starts with a compliment, wait for the but. Because there's a but coming. And it's gonna, then that little hook is going to slick in. You're going to have to watch for it. Pray with your eyes open, as I say. 
you aren't swayed by others because you pay no attention to who they are, but you teach the way of God in accordance with the truth. Oh, there's a but coming. Kids, stop giggling. It's the B-U-T. All right? Is it right to pay the imperial tax to Caesar or, or, or not? Should we pay? Or should we? Shouldn't we? Oh, this was contentious. You see, this wasn't a tax on Roman citizens. The Roman citizens did not pay this tax. Non-citizens paid this tax for the privilege of living in the Roman Empire, even though the Roman Empire had beaten your army and taken your people and now was in control of you, you had to pay them for that privilege. By the way, in Islam, there was the Jimmy tax or the Demi tax. Uh, you can look it up. <clears throat> it's spelled a variety of ways because Arabic alphabet isn't exactly correlated to our English alphabet. Uh, D-H-I-M-M-I is one way you'll find it. Every place they have taken over, they make non-Muslims pay special taxes and very often have to wear special clothes to indicate their lower status. That, all they're doing is bringing this up and not shifting that off. You know, most societies, most religions have stopped that kind of thing, but they still do it. You know, the privilege of us not killing you, that we're letting you live among us, even though we're not letting you build a building. For example, in Egypt recently, a church building was the first in many decades to be allowed to be built. They won't even let you repair one that's fallen apart because you're second, third class people. That's not just Egypt. That's, that's anywhere in that area. So whenever they're saying, is it okay? Is it is fine for us as Jews to hand money to the Caesars who are, as we all know, not believers in the God of Israel, who are immoral, who are murderous thugs, and who will take that money and pay soldiers to kill other people with it. Is it good for us to pay this? Well, you know why they're doing this. If Jesus says no, they're going to run to the Romans and say, look at him. Look at him. He's, he's leading a rebel mob and saying he, we are not to obey Rome. Well, that'll be sorted pretty fast. Or if he says, yes, we should pay, they're going to turn around to all the people who are gathering in that market, many of whom who have missed meals, don't have the property they used to have, who have been mistreated by Romans, and they've missed all this because they've had to pay extra ca uh, cash to their overlords. And they're going to say, look at him. He supports the Roman overseers. But Jesus is not easy to outthink. He knew their hypocrisy. He said, why are you trying to trap me? Bring me a denarius, a coin. Let me look at it. They brought the coin and he asked them, Who, whose image is this? Whose inscription? Caesar's, they replied. Jesus then said to them, give back to Caesar what Caesar's. Give to God what is God's. And they were amazed at him, as he should be. By the way, if you're thinking, that doesn't really answer exactly. Exactly. 
Jesus is not going to give us a rule that's going to put us uh, in, the, in the sights of the empire. But neither is he going to tell us that we shouldn't be concerned about these things. We're told later, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. This would be an illustration of one of those times. I pay taxes. Do I approve of the way the government collects money and spends money? No. No, I don't at all. I know there's some things I really like. I like roads. I like fixed roads, so I'm good with that. I, I like police forces, and I'm, I'm good with that. But there are other things they pay for and they do with it I don't approve of. But you know something? I'm not in charge of that. My job is to obey the law as best I can. So I pay my taxes. What they do with it, they're going to be held accountable before God. What I do with what money's left in my pocket, I'm accountable before God. You see? That's something which we can do. We're going to give to God what we can give to God. And what the state requires, we're going to do that too. As long as it doesn't break any moral rules. If the state were to require me to, to kill somebody, I'm able to say no to that. But come on, it's not doing that. We understand. Well, they're not done trying to trick him. So another group's coming in. So let's, you know, air traffic control here. The chief priests have tried the elders and the teachers of the law. Sometimes teachers of the law are called scribes, but it's not always the same group of people. They failed. So they're off. Well, here come in the Pharisees and the Herodians. Are you kidding? They've never stood in the same six feet section before in their lives. But they're coming together and boom, they're shot down in flames. So here comes another group, the liberal group, the progressive group. We've had the authoritarian establishment We've had the educational elite. We've had the far right. We've had the secular. Now we're going to have the leftist religional people. Sadducees were Jews, but they did not believe in miracles. They did not believe in life after death. Did not believe in angels. Um, there are people that help you remember this by saying they didn't believe in life after death. That's why they were sad you see. They're Sadducees. By the way, that's not what their name meant. Anyway, <clears throat> Then the Sadducees, who say there is no resurrection, came to him with a question. Always, I got a question. No, we're setting a trap. Are you ready? Teacher, they said, Moses wrote that if a man's brother dies and leaves a wife but no children, the man must marry the widow and raise up offspring for his brother. All right? That's weird, but not, not to them. Remember to them, property never left the family. The year of Jubilee was a reset. Property didn't leave the family. And families, the, the survival of the family was everything. So, if I'm married to this woman, and yet I die before she has children, and I have a brother, the law was the brother was to bring her in as wife, not concubine, but as wife, even though he may have already have another wife. And his job was to get her pregnant, but any baby that comes out of her belongs to the dead brother. So it's in that name. And so his line does not vanish from the earth. We see this a lot in the Old Testament, where one brother has to come in to raise another, sometimes called a kinsman redeemer, like in the book of Ruth. So to them, this is not unusual. This is the way it happens. But now the Sadducees, 
are going to make this little fantasy story to show Jesus how silly the idea of a resurrection is, right? Now, there were seven brothers. The first one married and died without leaving, leaving any children. The second one married the widow, but he also died, leaving no child. It's the same with the third. By the way, husband number five, six, and seven, one wonders if they start wondering if this woman's killing them. But anyway, great story, not told. <laughs> In fact, none of, this, none of the seven left any children. Last of all, the woman died too. At the resurrection, whose wife will she be since the seven were married to her? Aha, got you now, Jesus. No, no, you don't. Jesus replied, are you not in error? In other words, I, I think I know where you went wrong there. <laughs> because you do not know the scriptures or the power of God. When the dead rise, they will neither marry nor be given in marriage. They will be like the angels in heaven. We will not become angels. We'll become like the angels in heaven. Angels don't marry. We're, we're not going to marry. And this bothers some people. You know, I've been married to my Miss Cammy for over 44 years. And people would say, doesn't it bother you? No. And it doesn't bother her. Are we going to be special to each other in heaven? I would certainly think so. Are we going to live in the same house? I don't know. I don't know how it works. But it won't be like it is here. Where somebody has to make us food. We, and then we have our sexual needs over here. And then we need a, a, somebody to sit with while we're watching television. And no, no. And, all the, the wonderful things in a marriage are still there in a different way, except the things that were human aren't human anymore. And God's not going to tell us a whole lot about who we are, by the way. He doesn't talk that much about heaven. But he says, when the dead rise, they will not marry or be given in marriage. I get it. Now about the dead rising. Have you not read in the book of Moses, in the account of the burning bush, how God said to him, I am the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. He's not the God of the dead, but of the living, and you are badly mistaken. Well, let me close out here, because um, our time's about up. The gotcha there says, do you remember the story of God and the burning bush and Moses on Mount Sinai? one of the most well-known stories. And so everybody in the crowd's going, oh yeah, we all know that story. So Sadducees even have to nod their head here. And he said, God didn't say, I was the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, even though they'd been dead for hundreds of years. He says, I am the God. God is not the God of the dead, which by the way, the Romans have a God of the dead. And he's letting the Sadducees know, you're making him no more than a Roman pagan deity. If you're saying he's God only over dead. He's God of the living. Because when he said that to Moses. The way he phrased it. Abraham, Isaac and Jacob were already. Or rather were still alive. One after another. They gave it a try. They're not done. But we are. For this week. God bless you. We'll see you next week.